today's episode of the Brushwilders Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brushwilders Union, Simon Berman, and this month I am joined by wargaming and miniatures painting community maestro Christopher Gadebloke Miller of Lost Hemisphere and his birds. How are you, Chris? I'm not sure I've ever been described as a maestro before, but I'll take it. How are you doing, Simon? I'm pretty good. Uh, been actually want to have you on for a good long time, and I thought this would be a great time to talk about community and wargaming because. Uh, we're not doing a lot of wargaming, but we still have communities at the moment. Right. It's a bit of a troublesome time for all gamers involved and the uh, challenges we're trying to get gaming in. But uh, in the very least, we can get some great hobby time going. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that's something, you know, I think Lost Hemisphere for those uh, who are... Maybe you should join us a little bit about Lost Hemisphere and uh, where it came from and where it is today. Because it's, it's had a real journey over the years. And, you know, I, think, <coughs> I guess we've known each other for about a decade now, haven't we? Yeah, pretty much. We're, uh, we're old hat now, you and I. Um, I, of course, have been, I'm, I'm practically Neolithic as far as, as far as gamers go nowadays. Uh, I started painting miniatures and uh, doing gaming stuff back in the 80s. Um, dear God, I remember when the Dragonlance books first came out. Huh. Man, man, I'm old. Um, but uh, many, many years ago, in the dim dark recesses of the interwebs, um, there was a trading card game put out by Upper Deck called Versus System. And it was, uh, it was all about Marvel and DC and all sort of jazz. And they decided they wanted to do a little bit of a thing to try and you know, engage communities and get people involved in the internet. And they encouraged people to start blogs and produce web resources for community involvement. And I got stuck into that. And that was basically where Lost Hemisphere started. Um, I, of course, am Australian, but I live in Canada. And so the gag was when I left Australia and moved to Canada, I lost half a planet because I moved sure. from the southern to the northern hemisphere or the eastern to the western hemisphere. Whichever one you, you want to go with, I lost a hemisphere. Right. Um, and, you know, Australia is sometimes referred to as lost continent as well, uh, especially in Terry Pratchett books. So it was a running gag yeah. for me there. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so Lost Hemisphere were initiated originally as a card gaming blog. Um, and we did very well, uh, mainly thanks to you know, the help of support of uh, people like uh, Dave uh, Captain Spud um, and a few other people who helped writing for me as well. And after about a year, unfortunately, Versus System died. It was a horrible, horrible death. Uh, but of course, I was really enjoying vlogging and wanted to continue doing so. Now, sure. trace, it, trace it back again to the old country. And uh, I had actually worked in a hobby store and had access to Games Workshop miniatures at cost price. So naturally, I had several armies, and every single Blood Bowl model, model produced up until the year 2000. Um, and so I, I had to unfortunately offload my entire collections before I left Australia and emigrated to Canada. But I hadn't gotten back into miniatures again all the time, in large part just because of the cost. And so when Lost Hemisphere as a blog was looking for a new direction, I discovered War Machine. And the big advantage of War Machine, of course, is the starter boxes in the day were 50 bucks or whatever the U.S. Canadian equivalent there is of. Uh, there it is. English, I speak it. Uh, so I got back into miniatures gaming, and uh, I picked up the Sea Forge Battle Box, painted them under dwarves, then went into Trolls, went into Menoth, and everything just basically developed from there. I became a press gamer for Privateer Press, uh, so I ran tournaments and things like that. And uh, the main thing for me was, of course, just engaging the community side of things. I am not what anyone would ever describe as competitive when it comes to playing these games. I play for the love of the game as opposed to wanting to win. I found that uh, this was a real benefit to me as somebody running demos because I could play with a new player. My side of the table would do something cool and then some switch in my brain would, would flip over and my goal from the rest of the game would basically be to help my opponent do something really cool too so they could enjoy it as well. Sure. So my, my tagline at that, big, uh, at that time became, I can lose to anybody. Because <laughs> without even trying, I found I could lose to anybody. It didn't matter if they were brand new, if they were a long-running player. 
I found I could inadvertently and subconsciously throw any game. It was fantastic. But it's everyone quite had superhero a superhero ability. Right? I mean, everyone had a great time, and that to me was the point. Um, so Lost Hemisphere continued at the time, and of course, back in the day there, uh, you yourself were with Privateer Press back in the day as well. And uh, when Privateer decided they wanted to, you know, again, do the whole community engagement thing, you and I met at what was then TempleCon. And, yeah, that would uh, have been, what, 2009, 2010? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And we are basically signed in, you know, the blood of our, our victims, the uh, the immortal contract that, uh, <laughs> that uh, led to, you know, the development and growth of Lost Hemisphere where it is today. So over the years... Uh, while Lost Hemisphere has still maintained a, a, a somewhat focused effort on Privateer Press's product, we've also done Games Workshop. We're doing uh, Atomic Mass with the Marvel Crisis Protocol miniatures. Yeah, There's been a touch of Infinity, of Malifaux. Pretty much if there's a miniature involved somewhere, then potentially I'm interested. Um, I love miniatures, always have. I freely admit I am a horrible painter, uh, not, necessarily, not in terms of results, but in terms of the fact that, you know, I commit any number of painting sins on a daily basis. It's fantastic. I revel in my lowbrow, you know, cheating techniques. Um, but again, I'm painting for the fun of it. And, you know, I've always pushed and always encouraged people to choose their models and paint their colors according to what appeals to them personally, enjoy an aesthetic. Does this model have great rules? I don't care. It looks really cool. You know, for sure. So that's a mentality I've tried to carry through with Lost Hemisphere as well. Um, and so, you know, to this day, we still put out multiple uh, entries a week, just showcasing models, showcasing paint jobs, talking about products that are coming out or, you know, just things that are of interest in general. Um, yeah, it really doesn't matter if it's in the gaming industry and it catches my eyes like, you know what, we're going to talk about this on the blog today. So, yeah, it's always an opportunity to to showcase other people's paint jobs and uh, really interesting, really cool models from any game line whatsoever. Um, and it's just something I personally really revel and really enjoy, just being able to share my love of miniatures, my love of painting uh, with anybody who's foolish enough to click the link and read the blog, I guess. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and you've, been a, you've become a real pillar of the, the wargaming community. I think, you know, War Machine and Hordes more so because that was your focus for so long. But, um, mm -hmm. but you know, so it, as you said, the, the blog and stuff sort of changed over the years. Um, you know, I think you kind of went on hiatus for a little while, but now you're, you're back doing Paint the Target and stuff like that. Do you want to talk about, like, what what is Lost Hemisphere in 2020? It's a whole lot of words on a website that I babble on about for, you know, incessantly. Um, good, good. It... Right? I mean, you mentioned Paint the Target. Paint the Target's been running now for, God, about eight years, I think. Um, again, there was that brief hiatus, but uh, what Paint the Target is, is again, this is something that uh, feeds into my love of painting, my love of encouraging people to paint. We all have, uh, you know, our, our, our mound of silver, our mound of gray plastic, our, our pile of shame. All those models we've bought over the years that we thought, you know what, I'm going to start this project, and then you buy the models, and then they sit there, and you don't get the assembled, or you do get them assembled, but you don't get them painted, or God knows what, you get distracted by the newest shiny sure. thing, and you end up with a pile of stuff. And we all have that pile of stuff around the place. And over time, that pile of stuff grows and it can become really quite intimidating. Uh, we all love to paint, but sometimes we just look at this pile of un unassembled or unpainted models and it's like, well, I just don't even know where to start. So that was where Paint the Target came from. Paint the Target is a monthly contest. Well, I say contest loosely, uh, where the first blog post of every month, I'll post a gallery from the previous month's entries and I'll post a new target. The target itself... Uh, is deliberately limited and vague, limited in terms of you know, definition. So, for example, this month, uh, the target is wild slash feral. I don't care how you interpret the target. 
you paint whatever model you were inspired to paint based on the target. So for example, um, looking around my desk right now, using the term feral, I've got some ghouls here from Age of Sigmar. They're very feral individuals, so they would suit the target. Um, if I were to look around elsewhere, uh, what else is on the table here? God, so many bloody models. There's uh, some Moloch Berserkers from Monster Apocalypse. And again, they're pretty wild and dangerous pieces of work. No doubt. Uh, so they would work quite happily for the target. And I don't care how well you paint. I don't care you know, how fine you've done the detail. All I care about is that you've taken a model that at the start of the month was unpainted. And by the end of the month, it is painted. If you submit a photo of your model, it counts as an entry. And every month we post up a gallery of the previous month's entries. And one person is chosen at random from that list. And I send them a prize. I'm fortunate uh, through the years of, uh, of running Lost Hemisphere that I have a number of companies that send me product to review. I don't keep all the product. Most of it goes into the prize pool. And every month somebody wins something at random from the prize pool. There's no guarantee that's going to be a model you actually want or need. Yeah. But you're, you're getting something. Sure. It's, uh, it's delightful when you have somebody who really hates a particular faction. And you're like, you know what? Guess what you're getting? Ha uh ha. -huh. <laughs> but uh, the point is to get people painting, to give you an encouragement yeah. or a starting point to paint something. And it covers all game lines. I don't care if it's Games Workshop, uh, Weird, uh, Super Dungeon Explore stuff, uh, Privateer, of course. It really doesn't matter. The point is you picked up a brush and you painted something. It can be crystal brush award-winning level it can be my goodness this looks like it was sneezed on by a four-year-old level i don't care you painted something so lost hemisphere um today uh in part because because of the lack of our ability to actually game right now just because of social isolation and whatnot it has become less and less about actual tactics and strategy and whatever and more about just having fun with the games and uh, to encourage you to be creative and to explore the things that you find cool um one of the big things I always said when I was a press ganger encouraging people to get into War Machine and Hordes was you know, people would come in and they'd try and think out what's the most powerful faction in the game. It's like, that doesn't matter. Which one do you think looks coolest? Because I don't care how strong an army is. If you like the look of a model and the aesthetic of an army, you will subconsciously or subconsciously spend more time uh, making that, those models look cool when you paint them. And you will enjoy seeing them on the table more. And I am all about enjoyment of the game. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree more. I, I, I don't paint models that I, you know, I don't like the look of. Um, you know, for me, competitive playing has no no appeal to me whatsoever anymore. And, um, but yeah, so for, for you, what, what inspires you to paint a model? You know, what, what gets you really excited to, 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 to choose something to spend, you know, hours of your life painting? Um, two things, twofold, really. Uh, I'm, I'm one of these people who, who has to have... Uh, a sense of completion, a sense of achievement. Uh, one of the reasons I do paint models is so I can paint the model and look at it and say, look at what I did. Uh, it feeds me uh, socially. It's a creative outlet for me. So a big part of choosing what models are gonna, I'm going to paint, A, I have to think it looks cool, and B, I have to have an idea in my head of how I can paint that to a level that I'm going to be happy with. Um, so it's, it's basically the rule of cool. If I look at a model and think, damn, that looks fantastic, I want to apply paint to that then I don't care about the rules. I don't care about the faction. I don't even necessarily care about the game, what game it's for. If it's a really cool model, I want to paint it. And it's a personal thing. Um, some people really love and dig the aesthetic for things like Kingdom Death with the, uh, you know, the screaming antelope with a mouth full of incredibly sharp teeth erupting across its abdomen. Sure. Other people really dig chibi models like the Super Dungeon Explorer, Arcadia Quest, or those sort of things. And I frankly, I've got a mix of models from all sorts of game lines, but it just literally barrels down to, do I think this looks cool? 
um, and can I have fun with it? I'm somewhat allergic to uh, to studio color schemes usually. Um, very few of my models are actually painted to a studio color scheme, the exception being some of the Marvel Crisis Protocol stuff because love of superheroes, right? Sure. Um, but uh, it's, it's just down to the rule of cool. If I look at a model and think I can paint this and have fun with the color scheme and I'll enjoy it, then I'm all over it. Uh, I like models with a decent amount of detail because I find that I can I can paint some fa fairly fine detail in terms of like piping and things like that. Uh, whereas my own personal paint skills have tr have difficulty over larger flat surfaces and some broad expanses. Um, I haven't yet mastered an airbrush. I haven't mastered two brush bonding. Like I said, I'm a cheap painter. Um, I take cheap cheap uh, cheap routes all over the place to try and get things done quick and simple. I mean, people tell me that I'm supposed to paint in two thin coats, and sometimes I just don't know if I want to do that. Um, I'm a terrible painter, um, <laughs> but uh, I enjoy what I do. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the that's the important thing, right? I mean, nobody's a terrible painter if they're actually painting their miniatures to whatever standard it is, right? And uh, and I want to I want to stress that, and uh, I tried to say when I was talking about painting the target a few minutes ago, it doesn't matter how well you're painting. Don't compare yourself to um, people like Chris Sur or Drew Drescher or these amazing guys who paint models that look like they're literally alive. You know, um, compare yourself to how you were painting last month or the month before that, or a year before that. That's where you're going to see your personal improvement. And as long as you're happy with the paint level you're at, or, you know, you're seeing improvement in developing yourself, that's all that matters. You know, I'm I'm never going to be a, turn of, a competitive uh, crystal brush winning painter. That's just not in me. But I have an absolute ball painting the models I do paint. I really enjoy it. I get a lot of satisfaction from it. It's, I find it a lot of fun. And I want to encourage anybody and everybody, especially you know, the brush wielders out there, uh, do your best, sure. But just find your happy place with your painting and enjoy it. Don't beat yourself up if you're not painting at a super high tier. Enjoy what you're doing where you are. It's the hardest thing I've found and, uh, to, to explain, really, and to bring across. And uh, I found the same thing when I was playing War Machine as well, because there's nothing wrong with playing competitively. If you are interested in playing competitively and competing and striving for the top, fantastic, you do that. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with just having fun. We say, you know, we use, throw the term filthy casual around, and, but you know what? Casuals are having a great time doing what they're doing. Good for them. And it's the same with painting. If you find a technique you want to try and you want to learn to try and improve, absolutely, by all means, go for it. But just have fun with what you're doing. Because as far as I'm concerned, this is a hobby and that's the damn point. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you know. I guess. I guess my question is, you know, so you, you've been sort of so integral to, to community building in, in miniatures over the years. Is there anything you, you've learned in that that field do's and don'ts when it comes to you know getting people to play and paint, um, whether it's together or at the moment maybe uh, a little remotely or digitally? Well, it's a little tougher right now digitally, of course, and remotely, just because we can't meet up with our friends and we can't you know put all our models on the table and shove them around and roll dice and make growl noises when our terror guys eat their sigma thing. I don't know. Um, but we're still in a position, thanks to the joys of social media and the interwebs, to uh, support and encourage each other with our efforts. And for a lot of people right now, while I'm you know, deeply saddened by losses of jobs and things like this, uh, the flip side is we do, for many of us who can't go out and spend our evenings out gaming, we now have more evenings where the socially responsible thing to do is stay at home. That doesn't mean you can't do some hobbying on the, in that time and take advantage of uh, the additional time you have on your home base. Uh, to get some modeling done, some hobbying done. And through things like the Brush Wilders Union, um, you can support and encourage each other, uh, you know, just to get things done. Right now I'm running what I refer to as my uh, apocalypse army or my pandemic project. I'm, I've had the flesh eater courts for Age of Sigma now for 
three, four years or more. And I've painted the grand total of five models in all that time up until this all started. Uh, the count right now, I'm about 40 models in. Um, yeah, you're really I'm, knocking them out. I've been seeing them in the in brush chat and the uh, brush builders Discord. Well, I mean, I've been trying to get there. Right now, I'm, I'm muscling my way through the uh, the Arch Regent and the um, the Character Ghoul unit from uh, Warhammer Underworlds before getting back into more Crypt Ghouls. Um, these aren't difficult models to paint. It just takes time. Right now, I've got a little more time to do that. And by sharing pictures of my models, be they works in progress, be they completed models, I can get feedback from my peers. I can uh, get encouragement from other players to keep going with what I'm doing. I mean, I notice every time someone posts a picture in Rush Chat on the uh, in the Discord feed for the Brushwood Zine, there's always people who are jumping up. That looks great. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. You know, there's, there's support and encouragement for everyone, even if we can't do it face to face. All we have to do basically is show here's what where I'm at. Here's what I'm trying to get to. What do you guys think? And right now, especially when we can't get together and see each other face to face and we can't play with our gaming buddies, uh, where we can't make those direct social connections face to face, I think it's all the more important to do so through social media, through channels like the, the union, um, just to uplift and support each other. It doesn't matter what you're working on, share it. Let other people see what you're doing and let them give their feedback or their input or their encouragement or their support. Uh, I finished Helga on Wheels for Riot Quest the other week. And I yeah, she's great. Back. She's such a fantastic bloody model. She's hilarious. She, she looks amazing. There's great opportunities for weathering and things like that on there. Um, I've seen four other Helgas on Wheels, Helgas on Wheels, Helga on Wheels, whatever, uh, show up since. And every one of them I've looked at and gone, man, I could have done mine like that piece there. Or I could have done this a little bit different. And I've got to see other people's creative expression and their choice of you know color layout and color palette. And not only can I look at mine and say, I'm really pleased with this, I can look at theirs and say, I'm really impressed by that as well. Um, if we didn't have channels like this through social media, this would really suck. Uh, but because we do, we're in a position to uh, support, uplift, and encourage each other. And you know, speaking on a you know, on a, a wider scale right now, the whole world's going through a hell of a lot of unpleasant crap right now, and we are constantly surrounded and bombarded by news about the COVID nineteen coronavirus and the impact it's having. And just a lot of places are in a heck of a mess. Um, part of my personal coping mechanism for that is painting. And being able to, for lack of a better term, switch my brain off from what's going on outside in exchange for, you know, focusing on getting some paint on a model. Um, and being able to share those models with other people and see that support, see that encouragement. It's a real mental break for me. And later on in the day when I'm done with my painting, I can go back to dealing with what's going on in the world at large. And I'm in a better spot mentally to deal with that. So right now... <clears throat> I think it's critical that we are actually sharing what we're working on and supporting each other and encouraging each other to do the same. Uh, we are part of an international global community. Um, you know, back in the day, our community was literally the people who we got together with at our store, with uh, at our gaming stores. Nowadays, thanks to the internet, we are a worldwide community. We have friends across the planet, and we can all support and uplift and encourage each other as we try and get through this. The flip side of the whole thing, of course, if you're really into Nurgle, now is a great time to get some inspiration. <laughs> for sure. Um, so here, here's a question for you. Do you do you ever find it's difficult right now to sit down and get started painting? You know, with everything that's going on in the world, do you, do you ever have to force yourself or find nights where you just you just can't make yourself do it? Because I, I definitely heard that from some people here and there. I'm curious what how you what you do to, to tackle that challenge. 
I, I think that's a very valid thing for a lot of people. Um, we are, especially with the bombardment of all the news coming at us about what's going on in the world at large, we are at risk of getting overwhelmed. And there are going to be nights where you just can't muscle up to the paint table or you just can't, you know, bring yourself to do anything more than cook a bowl of ramen or something. I don't know. Um, it's just the reality of the world at large. And if you need a night off, if you need a night to shut down and just go completely brain dead, by all means, do whatever you need to do for you. But again, for me personally, taking the time out and force myself to put brush to model is a therapeutic mental break for me. It distracts me from what's going on outside. Uh, it helps me focus on something else that's creative, that's positive, that's an outlet for me. And in the end, I end up with a really cool looking army that I'm really happy with that when all this is over, I'll be able to play with. So there are times where it is difficult to step up to the painting table. But to be honest, the only thing that really gives me that uh, that that trouble getting started is when I'm looking at a model and I can't figure out what I want to do with it. Um, for me, painting is such a coping mechanism, such a tool for getting out of uh, you know the, the the feeling of being overwhelmed and under the weight of everything in the world around me. Um, that picking up the brush isn't that much of a challenge for me. It's just a matter of can I figure out looking at the model what colors I want where and where to go. And as somebody who doesn't do a lot of uh, studio schemes, especially when I'm starting a new project, figuring out where I want to go with it can be rough as nuts. Um, it's just because I don't necessarily know what colors I want to go where. Sure. My... So, Sorry. So when, well, I was going to say, when you find yourself in that situation, you know, what, what do you do to get started? What, what do you go look for inspiration or color scheme ideas? Um, it depends on what I'm working on. Uh, sometimes uh, it's just a matter of picking up one model, slapping paint on, it, paint on it, and then thinking, okay, am I happy with this or not? And can I run with it? Um, when I was looking at my flesh eater courts, they are my current project. They're on my mind right now. I'm probably going to mention them 38 times and I apologize. Um, for me, any game is more about the aesthetic and more about the fluff than it is about the rules every single time. So when I picked up the flesh eater courts, I had to figure out what's my backstory for my army. Uh, for those who don't know, the flesh eater courts are an army of death in Age of Sigmar, um, but they're not actually dead except for a couple of models. They're actually cannibals that have devolved into ghoulish nature, uh, who have all been driven batshit crazy by their Archregent. The Archregent is a vampire, um, but the Archregents are under the delusion that they're actually uh, a noble court, that they're in service to a king somewhere, that all their armies are men-at-arms and knights and bannermen and all these noble individuals with penance and glorious heraldry and all this sort of stuff, as opposed to, you know, devolved humanoids who aren't even wearing loincloths half the time. Um, but of course, following in on the, uh, the vampiric tradition of mind control, the insanity that infests the Archregent's brain, it spreads across the entire army. So the entire army basically thinks they're the good guys when they're actually cannibalistic devolved monsters. And the fact that they're all so utterly nuts just really amused the hell out of me. And so for this time it is a pretty bonkers concept isn't it right i just i really really dug it it's like they're all batshit crazy and given that we have the vargulf and the arch region actually has bat wings and we've got these crypt horror things are uh, crypt flares i should say they've got bat wings as well it's an appropriate term um so when i was coming up with the army i had to figure out what colors do i want to paint these guys and i thought what would work for me as a, a backstory for them to steer the color scheme and uh of course age of sigmar is made up of all the mortal realms and there's you know there's the actually the realm of fire uh there's the realm of shadow the realm of beasts whatever uh hish is the realm of light and so 
each realm has its own things, its own whatever. And the realm of light is, of course, full of radiance and light and knowledge and wisdom and all this sort of, you know, highfalutin stuff. Falutin, there's a word I haven't used in a while. Well um, but one of the spells in the spell list for armies that come from, from uh, Hish, the realm of light, is actually an anti-undead spell. It's expressly geared to screw over undead armies. And so the part of me that was thinking, what could I do that's going to be a fun twist on these guys being so utterly nuts in the head? What if the entire army is actually from Hish? What if the Archeregion is from this realm of light? He thinks he's a you know a noble princeling or whatever in service to Sigmar. He's fighting the good fight. And it's spread to all his army, of course. Meanwhile, they're all actually horrid monsters, but they're from a realm that's bathed in light and goodness and truth and justice and blah, 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 blah. Um, so I decided while rules are traditionally gray, gray or green um i wanted my guys to be brighter and lighter because they're from the realm of light so i decided the entire army was going to be light yellow uh and uh so that was the starting point and so of course games workshop had come out with their contrast paints and i was thinking i've got this pile of you know 40 50 60 ghouls i'm gonna have to muscle my way through the contrast paints could be a way to muscle through that even faster and so i picked up a bottle of their uh, i believe it's a and yellow where are we yeah Aspen. yeah yeah, and in yellow. I've got it right here in front of me. Um, and I sprayed them all. And uh, I did pick up five models to do as a test and put the wash on. thought, huh, I can make that slightly lighter with a dry brush of a, an off-white color. And I picked up another contrast paint for the uh, fur down their back. And next thing you know, I've got a scheme that, in theory, takes me like 20 minutes to knock out a ghoul. And if I chain gang and do like you know, 10 at a time, then I can just muscle through an entire swath of them in a fairly short time frame. So I have a scheme that fits in with a fluff uh, background that I like, that they're all from Hish. I have a scheme that I can knock out using contrast paints and dry brushing and washing. And it's all very fairly quick in the end to knock through them all. Uh, it just all works. Everything, you know, it's a quick paint job. It's got a fluffy paint job. It's got to look great on the tabletop once I actually figure out what the hell I'm going to do for basing for all these models. I got no bloody clue. Um, but yeah, it just all fits together. And because they don't take that long to paint individually, I get that sense of satisfaction, that sense of completion, that sense of creation uh, as I finish each model. Yeah, that's great. So, so for you, sort of your big inspiration is, is sort of thematic and narratively based. Is that often true for you or is this an exception? Oh, no, that's pretty much universal for me. Yeah. Um, it's very rare for me to pick up something and uh, you know be inspired by something that isn't related in somehow to a theme or a background or a narrative. Um, the driving force for me behind a lot of my War Machine armies, because I've had every faction except for Convergence, I think, and Crystal Lagarde. I've had I've had lots of things, sure. um, but uh, when when Private Depress enters the theme forces, that just you know picked me up, shook me by the shoulders, and said yes, because uh, like I say, I like playing by a thematic rather than by rules. And when theme forces were first introduced, the entire point was uh, you have people who were playing armies that were based on a thematic rather uh, combination rather than picking and choosing the best models that work well best together rules wise, and they were suffering for it. Um, they would play an entire army of, of Knights Exemplar, but they were missing out on the benefits of the Paladins right. or the Zealots or the Flame Guard, whatever. They weren't creating those optimal combos, and they were suffering in gameplay and losing games because they'd chosen deliberately to go for something that was thematic and fun. And so the theme forces basically said, no, no, let's encourage that. And so instead, if you played something that thematically made sense, sure, you missed out on some other models, but you got perks instead. So all of a sudden, while you couldn't take a Temple Flame Guard unit in an Exemplar Army, 
your entire army was immune to spells or goodness knows what it was. There were little, there were benefits to basically deliberately restricting your your army in the interest of fluff or storyline. And that to me has carried through uh, to this day with all my War Machine and Hordes armies and carries through into everything else as well. Like when I, the entire point of my Age of Sigma Ghouls is that I have a fluff background for them that steers the storyline, steers the, the paint jobs, steers what I'm going to do for my model selection. No, that makes total sense. Um, so you know, for you, for you, it's it's sort of getting getting started on a project is all about that that theme and stuff. Um, right, you have to have an idea. Yeah, uh, but sort of on, on a related note, I've been thinking a lot about how people get started painting in other ways because right now I'm seeing a number of people who are, you know, they're um, ISIS, they're socially distancing with their significant other or their children, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for the first time, those people are looking to get into painting. Um, you know, they might not otherwise have done it, but now that everybody's got a whole lot of free time on their hands, or some of us do anyway. Um, yeah. And I'm curious, you know, what, what advice you have to, you know, helping somebody get started on their paint, their journey as a painter? The journey as a painter, dear God. Okay. So um, first thing again is the rule of cool. Make sure they picked up a model they're actually interested in for the model itself. If someone's interested in, you know, picking up a, a, an army or a faction or a team for Blood Bowl or a, a gang for uh, Necromunda or whatever it is they're interested in, make sure they're interested in the actual models themselves. Again, be it for the aesthetic, be it for the rules, be it for the fluff, whatever's floating in their boat, encourage that. Right. So if they're interested in Necromunda, maybe don't give them some 15 millimeter Napoleonics. Right. Or if they're looking at Necromunda and they're, they're really liking the look of the Goliaths, don't hand them your deluxe. Sure. Right. Um, the second bit of suggestion I would make is to uh, limit the palette. Um, especially while you're first learning, uh, it can be difficult if you're not familiar with using a brush on fine detail to pick out that fine detail, right? So if you limit the palette uh, to maybe three or four colors, a metal and a black and white, uh, it can, again, stop them being overwhelmed by color choice and it can stop a model itself being overwhelmed by, you know, not meaning to speak cruelly or whatever, by, by sloppy paint jobs. Um, sure. If I'm going to paint a model and I've never painted before and I pick up a model and I want some green here and some blue there and some red there, if I haven't learned a technique that's going to help me keep that clean, even though in the end I may end up with a fully painted model, I'm going to look at it and go, man, that just doesn't look that great. So limiting the palette can help with that. Uh, the other thing, remember where you started as a painter. This is the real you, not you personally, Simon. Um, <laughs> okay. When we first started, we weren't doing two brush blending. We weren't even necessarily doing three layers. Uh, you know, blending at all. Um, but remember dry brushing, remember washing. I mean, a lot of painters nowadays, especially over years, we develop techniques that are above and beyond those, uh, but they still serve a very great purpose, especially for people who are newer to painting. Um, explain to them the difference between washes and regular paints and how they work and how one flows differently to the other. Uh, you know, show them techniques. Show them, get a piece of armor, a piece of chainmail, paint it black first, then dry brush it silver, and then put a wash over it and let them see the difference, let them see how the paint pools let them get used to the actual mechanics of the paint itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, just keep it simple. Basically give them a simple palette to work with on a model they think is really cool uh, and teach them simple, basic techniques. Dry brushing and washing, as far as I'm concerned, is the foundation of 98% of what I do. Um, and I'm happy with the way my models turn out. I really like them. Um, but again, I think they come out great. They're certainly high level tabletop as far as I'm concerned. It's not a difficult technique to master. It just takes a little bit of practice. Don't overwhelm them with all the, the higher end techniques that you do and be willing to help out with things like painting eyeballs. Painting eyeballs sucks. They're tiny. 
Um, it's true. Yeah, it's true. A new painter is going to have a horrible time painting eyeballs unless they're like enormous on the model. It's like a giant insectoid thing. Um, they're willing to help and be willing to offer shortcuts if they don't want to paint the actual eyeballs. Putting a little bit of black or brown wash in there can actually give you the, you know, from the three foot rule can count for an eyeball. Oh, I've done that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Completely uh, unrelated side note, your Necromunda train's looking bloody amazing, mate. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's, it's getting there. I'm, I'm actually, I just finished, I should be finished with the actual painting tonight. And uh, then I'm going to get into doing some decoupage, which is a new new technique for me, and decals. And I'm hoping to be done with it in about two weeks. You know, I'm not sure I believe you. I think you should mail your entire train set to me for an analysis afterwards. And I think I'll forget to mail it back to you. Oh, that's a good idea. I'll get right on that. Scores. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, thanks. No, I'm, I'm, it's, been, it's been a good project for the last uh, five or six weeks now, so I'm plugging away at it. Oh, it's looking fantastic. And um, that's another whole aspect of the hobby as well, isn't it? Moving on from painting armies and miniatures to painting terrain. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's a different skill set. Um, a lot of the same basic concepts apply, but I myself just cheated with my Necromunda terrain. There was a crowdforge studio out of Australia just did their uh, Metromorph uh, terrain. Yeah, just, uh, just I've got that as well. Yeah, it's gorgeous stuff. Um, it really harkens back to the original Necromunda terrain where it was yeah. uh, cardboard clipping into plastic, but it looks uh -huh. amazing. It may, yeah, become, I, I, I go gonna, it may become the backdrop for half my photos at this point. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I've got. I've got a bunch of it myself, uh, but I'm. 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 I'm being good. I'm going to focus on finishing my my big detailed painting Necromunda terrain, and that's going to be a reward for me to crack that stuff open when I'm done in a couple of weeks. For sure. For sure. Uh, the other thing, of course, nowadays with 3D printing as well, we have access to so many fun options for terrain. I mean, I, I have got uh, my local store here, uh, Torchwood uh, Games and Hobbies in Burlington, Ontario. Um, sorry, Torchlight. Torchwood's a Doctor Who thing. Torchlight Games and Hobbies. Um, they're actually doing 3D printing services for anyone who wants to have printing done here. And so uh, I was speaking with them. They've got a couple of buildings set up. One of them looks just like the Sanctum Sanctorum. Oh, that's great. Uh, another one, they built this massive gabled bridge uh, for their 40k stuff. Uh, I'm actually going to be having a chat with them at some point down the line if I can possibly maybe getting a building printed with the... Um, there's a building they've got, I think it was originally designed as a police station, but it's got a large circular recess in, on the third floor of the building for an emblem, and it's meant to be like a police logo or whatever. No, but it's, cool. a perfect, it's a perfect shape for a Lost Hemisphere logo. So I'm thinking, you know what? Lost Hemisphere oh, nice. you. Yeah. Got to represent and get my nerd on. Yeah, for sure. That's great. But yeah, it'll That's be cool. good times. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, so, but yeah, so you know, you, you, is there an end in sight to your 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 uh, flesh eater quartz uh, project? And if so, what what is your next project going to be? Or do you, is that going to be up well, to? Uh, there, there isn't an end in sight for this one. There isn't enough. Um, one of the things I've enjoyed with the flesh eater quartz, and I know this is again the different way different people approach different projects. Um, Games Workshop models are pricey. They're not the cheapest on the market. They're fantastic, but they're not the cheapest on the market. So the reason I stepped into the Flesh Eater Quartz in particular is with the exception of, I think, two SKUs, might not even be one SKU, everything in the army can be represented from the Star Collecting Box. It's two, oh, right. it's two SKUs, actually. It's the Vargulf and the uh, Arch Regent. Everything, oh, I suppose and now you've got the uh, Underworlds box as well. But everything else, the uh, Crypt Ghouls, the Crypt Horrors, the Crypt Flayers, the Terror Guys, and the Zombie Dragon can all be built from the Star Collecting box. So that uh, the model for the, the Zombie Dragon slash uh, Terror Guys, that's normally like a $90 model, $80, $90 model here in Canucks. Sure. Whereas for $120, I can get that and a bunch of Ghouls and a box of Crypt Horrors. Oh, great. Right. So um, 
one of the things that worked for me, aside from you know developing the thematic of the the completely insane sun worshiping undead things, uh, was the fact that the entire army can be built on a very limited number of skews, and there's simply no need to buy anymore. If you pick up a couple of start collecting boxes and a couple of extra boxes of ghouls and whatever, you've got every model you need to field your entire army. Yeah, very uh, cost effective. Very, especially with the um, the carrion carrion courts, I think it was called. Uh, the Skaven versus Ghouls box that came out. A while oh, ago. yeah. Yeah, uh, I had a friend of mine who was interested in the Skaven, so he took the Skaven half. I got the Ghouls. We did the trades. It was all good. Um, but I have pretty much every model I could possibly want to field for this army, period. I have two Arch Regents. I have two other monster kits. I have 80, 90 Crypt Ghouls total. Oh, wow. Uh, and I've got maybe two, three dozen Crypt Horrors and Crypt Flayer kits. And I have, I have yet to decide how I want to build those in terms of sure. Horror versus Flayers. Um, but there's really nothing else I could want for this army. I have literally all the models I could possibly need. I may at some point down the line pick up one last start collecting box so I'll have a third monster. But unless I want to do the uh, the Gristlegore Court, because of course there are, even though the army itself is themed, there's the various Grand Courts uh, within the army itself for extra War Scrolls and whatever. Um, unless I want to do the monster theme one, I don't need it. So, right. so the joy of this project, not only am I, you know, building models that are fun and easy to paint, and I've got a great backstory in my head for, it's finite. So there is going to come a point down the line when it's just flat out done. And I can have it on the shelf, and when, if I'm playing Age of Sigmar, I can pick and choose what models I want out of it. Otherwise, I've just got a great, great display piece, and there's a real sense of, of achievement, accomplishment, and completion right there. Now, yeah, oh, go ahead. for projects after that, who bloody knows? I have, uh, you know, so many models from so many games. And again, we talked earlier about having our pile of shame. Uh, my pile of shame is magnanimous, magnificent, enormous, lots of other words with three and four syllables. <laughs> um, but I have, I could build multiple armies for Protector of Menoth. I could build some Signar, some Cricks, some Trolls. Um, I've got maybe six or seven different projects I could do for War Machine and Hordes. I've got a couple of crews for Malifaux. I've got the rest of my Marvel Crisis Protocol models. I've got several models for Riot Quest. I have several models for Monster Apocalypse. Um, I've got some Relic Knight stuff in the basement. At one point, I had planned to paint through the entirety of the Rail Raiders Infinite uh, set in its expansions or Super Dungeons oh, wow. the same thing. Uh, I've got way too much stuff to get through. So it's, I'm, I've got no shortage of, of potential projects. <laughs> Good to hear. It's, it's just a matter of which one I'm going to jump on. Um, I think I would like to get Hammerclack and the uh, the Subterrans done for Monster Apocalypse. Um, but whether that's the next one that steps up to the plate, I don't know. There's a lot sure. to go so, with. But you're, you're not really like looking to the horizon while you're in the midst of this kind of project then? No, no. Uh, part of the reason for that is I don't want to get distracted from the project. I know sure. I, have, I have ADOS, so Attention Deficit Ushiny. And so... If I start picking up uh, some Marvel Crisis Protocol models right now, or a couple of chibis or whatever, unless I'm doing it specifically as a reward model for achieving a certain amount of completion for the current project, it's going to distract me from the project, and the project's not going to get finished. Yeah, I'm, I'm much the same. I'm starting to think about what I'm going to do next, just because the end kind of is in sight of my Necromunda mm -hmm. terrain. I think yeah. I'm going to crack open my uh, Blood and Plunder uh, English Nationality Starter Force I've had sitting around for a couple of years. But nice. I, I, yeah, I'm excited for that. It'll be it'll be a fun change of pace to do some historical stuff after spending six weeks, eight weeks in the uh, underhive. But um, yeah, I, I know if I crack it open too early, I'm going to lose focus, and I, I need to I need to stay focused on this this big project right now. 
Absolutely, um, absolutely. I mean, so good. I, I was just going to say uh, right now, uh, the models I'm leaving for the very end of my my flesh the course project are the monster models because they're such a big daunting whatever, and I know I can muscle through the crypt ghouls, crypt tires, crypt flares before I get to the terror guys and the zombie dragon. Uh, but once I'm at that stage, then I'll probably start looking at okay, what am I going to do when I finish these? so that that project can become the reward for completing them. So, so sort of a, a, a different tactic I want to talk a little bit about is, you know, if um, for people who are out there and listening and, you know, they, they've kind of found themselves in the position of, you know, kind of needing to lead their community, whether it be the players from their local game store or their painting club or one, some such mm-hmm. um, in this, this sort of difficult time where, you know, we, we can't meet up and, and maybe, you know, um, hang out in person and do this. So what, what advice do you have for people who, who find themselves as community leaders for the first time in miniatures and painting? Don't forget to reach out. Um, you'll have been familiar with the people in your community at your store. You'll have known the faces. You'll have known the names. You probably friended them on Facebook at some point just because they were part of the community. You may not have ever spoken with them since. Um, but it's easy to forget people and let them slip through the cracks unless they were particularly vocal and involved out of the gate. Of every group of maybe you know random number 10 people in the community, there's going to be at least three or four that acquired a members of the community that keep to themselves more. They're engaged and involved in the community, but they're not necessarily, you know, pushing themselves forward and being out there. Um, so when you're dealing with people, be proactive in reaching out to those people and touching base with them, seeing how they're doing. Uh, they may not be, feel comfortable making that first step, that first connection. Um, consider as well, can you run something like Paint the Target? Just a personal challenge for you and your friends. Um, if you're going to use something like painting and hobbying at this time, you know, as a, a mental break for everyone, a distraction to help them cope and get through everything, give them a reason to be distracted beyond just the idea of maybe I should get some models painted. Um, we can't right now you know, run a local tournament, but we can run a small painting challenge amongst our friends. Uh, if you have a lot of people painting the same armies, you know, everybody pick up a dreadnought, let's go. Um, or one other thing that we used to do, uh, we did use Gone by Lost Hemisphere, and we did it with our local community as well. Um, basically, we painted an army for somebody else. And the joy and the fun of it was they had no bloody idea we were doing it. The whole thing started uh, with what we call the Council of Thirteen. The Council of Thirteen only actually had seven members on it, but that's not the point. They... Part of my backstory in War Machine and the Hordes is I picked up the Protectorate of Menoth and I loved the fluff and I loved the concept how they were borderline evil half the time while at the same time convinced they were holy warriors, blah, blah, blah. You, sure. may, see, you may see a running theme here with the flesh-eater courts, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I played my friend Dave Tunick, Captain Spud. He plays Infinity more nowadays, but uh, Spud is three to four times the gamer I am at least. He's much better at picking out competitive combos, models that work together, looking at a table and guessing distances, calculating odds in his head, thinking three steps ahead. In terms of playing games, he leaves me in the dust. But he was my most common opponent and he was a good friend of mine. So we played a lot and I played Protectorate and he played Signar. So a lot of my losses when I first started playing War Machine were to Signar. Conveniently, the army that I was playing, but the Protectorate in the fluff, also hates Signar. So my hatred of Signar became a running gag with Lost Hemisphere. Um, I'm still really not a fan of the faction as a whole, but I, now, thanks to the Council of Thirteen, I have an army. Huh. What they did one year is uh, Spud and uh, my friend Pablo and Dale Coons, you remember, remember even from the, uh, the pod thralls? Oh, yeah. uh, Jamie Bell, my, my previous uh, yeah, of course. podcast co-host. Uh, Aiden Butillier, a handful of friends all picked up a model. They all plotted a small list for me. 
Um, and they all conspired over the course of about a month or so. And between them, each one of them painted a single model that went together to make a small Warjack-centric army. And Dave, being the talented sculptor that he is, sculpted me. So oh, that's awesome. the, the model plays as uh, Striker 2, uh, but rather than having an enormous lightning sword, he's got an enormous Arcantric cricket bat. <laughs> uh, he has a hat. I, I had a floppy um, wide brim hat that I used to wear all the time. It hangs off his belt. He's wearing sh uh, cargo shorts and boots like I used to wear back in the day. Uh, and his Arcantric backpack, his turbine, is fueled by a packet of Tim Tams, a jar of Vegemite, and a bottle of uh, Han Premium Lager, which was my favorite beer back in Australia. <laughs> so I had a model of me and an army of Signar Warjacks all present left on my box Christmas morning wrapped up in paper like there was a knock on the door and I went and there was no one there there was just the box so I unwrapped this box and it's a wooden box with a custom foam inlay uh, it has a logo burnt into the top of the box of this uh, koala falling from the sky with teeth and things buried and drop bear yeah, literally. It's a drop. It's got like a, a military logo, whatever. It's the, the, the 76th Drop Bears, like a the Drop Bear type. <laughs> awesome. And I crack open the box, and these models are an almost vibrant, snottish green and purple. And I'm looking at them going, what the hell is this? And what is with this ugly paint scheme? <laughs> and I sit down, and my buddy Jamie's online. And so I go, Jamie, Spud left this thing for me because I'd figured it out it was Spud what is with this paint scheme? And he's going, man, that sounds interesting. I really don't know. And of course, Spud would write an article on Lost Hemisphere every week back in the day. Sure. And that morning's article came up while I was sitting there looking at the models. And it was Spud's article on how he had sculpted the custom me and assembled the Council of 13 to paint all these models for me. And so I'm sitting there looking at the article and I see, and Jamie painted this model. I'm thinking, I was just talking to you, son of a bitch. <laughs> So my dear friends, who clearly love me, got together as a special surprise project, amazing effort, amazing project to present me with an army that I hate the faction for, right. knowing full well that because this was a gift from my friends and a gift of love from them, I have to play with it because if I don't, that would be rude. I can never <laughs> sell it because it was a gift of love to me. And because, of course, it is an army and I'm me, and I look at an army and I have to figure out what goes well with its theme, etc., I had to add to it and paint that scheme myself as well. Wow, it's like a curse almost. It was an amazing curse, and I loved it. I freely That's incredible. I hand-painted my own storm wall for the damn thing. Awesome. Um, but what this started was a pattern and a trend where... Every once in a while, we'd realize someone's having a rough time, or we just pick someone who <clears throat> who might have been quiet for a while. We don't know what they're going through or whatever. We decided, you know what? We're painting that guy an army. And we would, a bunch of us would create a, a Facebook group or whatever where only the people involved were there. The other person had no flipping clue what was going on. We'd plan a list. We'd plan a paint, uh, plan a paint scheme. I can speak English. Um, and then we'd all paint it, whatever, get it all bundled up, and we'd just mail it to them en masse. That's very cool. And then one day, you know, they flip out and they open the mail. It's like, what the hell is this? And there's a fully painted army. So if you've got somebody in your community you want to support and encourage, or you just think it'd be a bloody fun gag, we've all got our piles of silver. Dig through, see if you can find some stuff that goes together. Or, you know, support your local gaming store. If they're doing uh, contactless delivery or pickup and whatever, um, put something together for somebody. 
you know, if you want to just do a Necromunda gang or a, a small army or whatever it is, it's a great way to reach out to somebody in the community and say to them, we as a community are glad that you're part of our group. We support you. We encourage you. We want to play games with you. Here's something we've done for you. Once all this is over, bring it out. Let's get some game on. No, I think that's that's a great notion. You know, I, I was involved in something similar to that a couple of years ago. Um, one of the guys in my gaming club got married, and uh, as a wedding present, the club uh, painted him up a saga army. Um, nice, forty dudes, and it was it was a lot of fun. But it, the, the gratification of you know that that kind of group project where you know your community can actually come together and create something tangible, and whether mm-hmm. you gift it to somebody or you know maybe you donate it to charity or a charity auction or something. I think there's a lot of ways to explore that. Well, we get that uh, with the uh, the charity armies at uh, Captain Con, for example. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's brilliant. So for those who don't know, Lost Hemisphere runs a charity fundraiser every Captain Con, so that's every February in Rhode Island. And uh, we basically collect donations from gaming companies and also from gaming communities uh, that we then raffle off to raise money for whichever charity we've chosen that year. And every year for the last, I think, four or five years, the New Jersey SABs have donated an army that they've worked on as a group project. So every year we get at least a fully painted army from them that somebody's going to walk away with. Yeah. And the money goes to a cause, right? Every year. We pick different things every year, but we've done uh, the Hope Alzheimer's Center. We've done the Jimmy Fund, which raises money for uh, childhood cancers. Uh, we've done Rosie's Place, which is actually the oldest women's shelter in the U.S. Um, we've done an autism support, Cetera, 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 Cetera. Cetera was a mummy. <laughs> but we, we pick a different charity every year. We try and find something. Uh, we'll go back to the same charity multiple times sometimes, but we try and mix it up and change it just to sure. spread the love around. Uh, and we generally like to pick smaller nonprofits and things like that where our donations can make a real difference and it's an opportunity not only for us to help support a charity whatever and to raise awareness for it but for everyone who who purchases those raffle tickets everyone who sends in those prizes to be part of something bigger and giving back to the community and so so doing these armies and doing these small things for your friends for your painting group is that on a much smaller scale but it's no less significant no less meaningful absolutely you know, there's, there's actually a couple of ideas I've been, I was starting to work on this winter uh, for brush builders on sort of a similar tech, uh, which mm-hmm. has been a little delayed because of the present circumstances, but I'm, I'm hoping to roll those kind of thing out sometime uh, later this year for union members to participate in if they want to, for, uh, to help out towards a cause and paint some cool miniatures they might not otherwise paint. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a chance to be part of giving something, which is always rewarding in and of itself to do something with no expectation of reward or compensation, um, just in terms of mentally well-being and mentally uplifting yourself as you support somebody else. The other thing is it can be a great opportunity to paint something you'll never have painted otherwise. So if yeah. we, if we decide, for example, if you and I chat and we get together and we decide, you know what, we're going to paint a Seraphon army for somebody. I have absolutely no reason to buy Seraphon or paint Seraphon otherwise. So it'll be a chance to break into a new model type, break into a new color palette, experience something new for a good cause. All right, Chris. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, I want to say thanks so much for talking to me, especially during this very weird time. And I'm really glad to finally have had a chance to talk to you on the podcast. Oh, it's all good, Simon. It's a pleasure. I mean, I really uh, appreciate and respect what you and the Brushworlders Union are doing. Um, again, just supporting, encouraging, uplifting painters, sharing the knowledge that you all have amongst each other, uh, sharing techniques, and just basically encouraging people to get their paint on. Yeah, I mean, I think painting is as important a part of you know the communities and gaming as uh, as any competitive or ga- or you know gameplay based one. And I'm I'm happy to see some people agree with me. I mean, especially right now when we can't actually get together and compete. Yeah, for sure. All right, Chris. Well, thanks again. Uh, hopefully we'll have you back on sometime in the future. Maybe we can talk about some more charity stuff when uh, that stuff happens. But uh, again, be safe and well, and thanks again for talking. Oh, my pleasure. It was a pleasure being here, and uh, you know, keep on painting. 
Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com.